Welcome to episode 5 of Lured Podcast, brought to you by Finn and Tide. In this episode, we have all-round lure angler Adam Kirby joining us to dive deep into his love for light lure fishing and how that has developed over the last several years. We also talk about Adam's infamous encounter with a sawfish in shallow water whilst boat fishing on the south coast, which took the fishing web by storm. We hope you enjoy. Right, Jacks, episode five. We're back. Locking on. We were here. I can't believe we've got to five, four down, but so far so good. And they said it would never last. (laughs) (laughs) None of us are quite turned into alcoholics with the amount of beer we drink during these. (laughs) Um, But we've had some good feedback again from last week, so a big thanks to Charlie coming on. Yeah. Um, Legend. Since that, he's sent me plenty of video footage on the bluefin tuna, which has massively wet, whetted my appetite. So, yeah, Rick, quick uh, question, mate. Sorry to interrupt. Um, go on. What's the female listener count at now? I'm, just asking, I'm just asking for a friend, obviously. It's gone <laughs> up a few percentage since Charlie came on. Sweet. It's those accents. It's them accents. I'm sure of it. <laughs> it actually went up when Dave come on. <laughs> it couldn't have got any lower than when it was just us three on episode <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> You wait, boys. You wait. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we have the we have the ever so central tones of Adam Kirby. Beautiful, the light game guru. Hi, gentlemen. Thanks for coming on, Ad. Well, my pleasure. It's been um, well. Thanks so much for you guys for the last you know the last four episodes. It's been um, it's been quite a gift during these uh, funny times of lockdown. So thank you very much. Oh, nice. My pleasure. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. That's nice too. More than welcome. We've, um, we're actually, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, but we're actually quite shocked that the only listeners was in our parents. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, talking fishing in a sort of a pub type setting seems to work. Yeah. I don't think you get any more laid back, can it? <laughs> no, really. I'm literally laid back as well. Literally. <laughs> Has everyone got the beers on the go? Yep. Yes, sir. What certainly? What beers do we have this week, boys? Red stripe. I'm straight on a Corona. Nice. God, I sound fancy now. I've gone brew dog Elvis juice. Oh yes, oh. Adam. Love that. There you go. Other grapefruit IPAs are available, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I'm excited about this one, boys, because um, as we've been following you for a long time on social media and seeing all yeah. your, your work in Sea Angler um, and the stuff you've done with HTO and the different types of fishing you've adopted over the years and everything you seem to cover, mate. This this pod could probably go on forever, but I suppose we'll, oh, thanks so much. we'll try and focus it a little bit on um, light lure fishing and probably more in particular to the salt but um if we do touch on some fresh water then happy days as well well yeah thank you uh same same as you guys i thought my mum was the only one that was reading any of that stuff (laughs) (laughs) amazing brilliant so i mean where 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 did it start for you fishing generally what was your background uh, oh generally like pre-lure so um yeah, well, a long time ago. So I suppose uh, fishing for me, I, I, it wasn't like a hand-me-down. I wasn't led to it, which I find quite weird now, like God knows how many decades on. But I remember my uh, my dear old mum uh, 
dragged me down to uh, the local sea angling club, which was Southsea Sea Angling Club. And in retrospect, as a shy little lad of probably 12 years old back then, my mum just wanted to get me out of the house. But actually, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I mean, we're talking late eight, late 80s and into early 90s. And uh, I mean, the huge, the huge generosity of the good people of South Sea Angling Club was, was kind of what taught me fishing, really. I mean, you know, we're late, we're late 80s, early 90s. So you can imagine the kind of fishing it was. It was pretty standard bait fishing. Um, not that that mattered back then. I didn't know any different. And it was a boat club as well. So it sounds utterly ridiculous to say it here we are in 2020 but you know i remember sundays generally was when it was that was comp day and your mum would drop you off down the compound down at langston harbour and you know i want to say we had life jackets but basically you were just plonked (laughs) on an orkney with a couple of grown men strangers and if it was a calm day, you might find yourself, you know, over, you know, 10 miles out. I mean, God, that's <laughs> mental now, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you believed everything you read on social media, I should have been pedoed half to death many times over <laughs> in that era. But it, it was, it was genuinely, it was genuinely <clears throat> the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, yeah, it kept us out of trouble. Uh, I'll get in there early with my fishing mates. I mean, um, Dan Sisson, yeah, if you've been following me, you'll, you'll yeah. know if Dan mm-hmm. Sissons is, yeah. you know, my partner in grime and slime, etc. cetera. Uh, we met there when we were, you know, as I say, uh, teenagers and, and plenty of others that I could name too. And we've kept friends for the best part of, well, I don't want to do the maths now, but if I'm saying 12, we're talking 30 years. So, yeah, good times. Um, So how do I jump forward? Otherwise, this is going to be a very long uh, podcast (laughs) just on the intro. So, yeah, I loved my fishing. Uh, Had a boat probably when I was about 14, 15, just probably a little, I can't remember the details, 12, 14 footer with a, I think it was a seven and a half mariner on the back of it. Got into loads of scrapes with that, you know, like learning that just because you're at sea doesn't mean it's deep and out mm. with your best mates in summer and crashing into the crashing into the West Winner and taking the prop off, you know, all that good stuff that no one tells yeah. you the sea <laughs> only stuff like that, a foot deep. That sets you up later in life, eh? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'd rather do it then than now when your mum and dad were paying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh and yeah that that was that was all good and um yeah in terms of lure fishing trying to skip ahead quickly here the the turning point was me and 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 really my only skill in life is i just seem to have been incredibly lucky so when i got the chance to travel around australia for six months with my uh long long term long uh poor old other half um <laughs> like obviously you know six months in australia uh as a as a fishing nut you're gonna be wanting to do as much fishing as possible despite the fact that actually your your trophy your trophy wife is pretty much anti-fishing <laughs> loves all creatures uh you know all that stuff she's she's she pretty much invented uh petter 
so uh, yeah, that's an interesting dynamic in our relationship for now. But anyway, uh, probably the, the reason that that's important, right, is that um, it didn't, you know, six months traveling, like sleeping in a car every night, pretty much. It didn't last very long having uh, half defrosted pilchards smelling in a in a in a dodgy cheap freezer bag in the back of our Ford Falcon before, you know, the rows that ensued with that smell. Bearing in mind that's where we were sleeping every night and driving for hundreds of kilometres, it, it it needed to be something different. So I think, although I'd love to say that there was this huge epiphany for lure fishing. It was the fact that my hand was forced, really, and that um, I wanted to go fishing. It was causing a bit of friction with the other half over over the bait that I was trying to get hold of, or just accessing it in the middle of nowhere, right? It's hard. You know, not everywhere is like the UK. Sometimes you've got to travel 50 kilometers just to get some bait. And I started just reading, because time on your hands, like you don't have in modern life, just reading and reading and reading Australian fishing books, I had some background. I remember sat round Dan's flat for hours on end, getting high on tea, probably, uh, watching Rex Hunt and others <laughs> on 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 the TV, as many of us did, no doubt. Yeah, hundred percent. You better, you better. Yeah, exactly. And just being in awe of everything that we saw there, and like, you know, just just comparing things like their bream fishery to our bream fishery and there they are and they're casting lures at them and it just looks awesome and and all that good stuff it didn't take away from the fact that you know our own fishing and and we loved that but with that i kind of it set me on a path of research and i i think already due to watching those programs on tv I already had a bit of a man crush on Steve Starling, Starlow, as I think <laughs> we all remember him. Yeah, not just the facial hair. I mean, that was superb, but the, <laughs> the fishing skills were good. And I started reading a lot of, 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 of Steve Starling's stuff. Um, you know, like, you know, we think we, we know him, but when you're out there and obviously you've got access to all the Australian stuff, I mean, the guy's an utter legend. There's nothing he's done. And, and I, you know, you're forcing me. Some memories are coming through stronger than others. I remember there was one one chapter of one of his books. He was talking about they just, him and uh, Bushy, I think, had just released, uh, what was it called? Was it Squidgies? Do you remember those? Yep, the squidgies. I've actually, funny enough, I've actually got some in the garage. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Got and and I remember, I mean, and it was probably some, you know, I'm being cynical here already, but it was probably some marketing spin, but I enjoyed reading about it all the same. And yeah. they, they just released Squidgies and literally talk about confidence in fishing, which is everything, right? He'd set about trying to catch every Australian species on lure. And I mean, that blew my mind. You know, like, mm. I'm, I, bear in mind where we all probably were at this phase, you know, like you can catch mackerel on lures, you can catch bass on lures, you can catch pollock on lures. And apart from a few others, that was, that was pretty much it as a pretty standard yeah. UK angler. And this guy was talking in depth about how he would approach something. And he was, he was talking about actually all that mattered was finding where the fish, it was less about the lures and 
you know, a bit less about uh, the technique and it was just about finding the fish. But also, if you wanted them on alert, especially the stranger species, it was about finding those fish in the right mood, i.e. now, that they were active, actively hunting them. And I mean, yeah, it won't make any sense, even if I could remember. It wouldn't make any sense if I mentioned some of the Australian species. But really, that's exactly what I've discovered on my little journey in UK waters, is you take some pretty strange species that you know your average uk angler would say well that's not a predator and suddenly in the right circumstances that fish is very much a predator in fact you know as we were on our journey when i say ours i mean me and dan we very much sort of went on this together probably for to hold each other's hand and uh and give a give ourselves confidence that we weren't completely mad but yeah, it's the discovery that we had this little saying that every fish a predator because that's kind of what we found on the way, really. And oh god, this is where my brain explodes and we go off in lots of directions. And I feel like keep I have hitting to us, mate. Of, keep um, doing it. Great. Pre- preempt. I have to feel like I have to preempt everything. I'm just going to come out with a big one up there front. I mean, if I write a book, and I'm not going to write a book, but if I did, the chapter that I would enjoy writing the most would be about this whole thing, every fish uh, a predator. So I had a hallelujah moment some years ago. Uh, I'm building this up, and actually I probably shouldn't be. (laughs) But um, I had a a hallelujah moment uh, many moons ago. Uh, I can remember it quite clearly. I was sat. Uh, down in the bright sunshine of the quay at Mevagissi in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. I was fishing the inside of the outer uh, wall there, yeah. the water mm-hmm. to the little quay. And I'd been fishing pretty consistently through the day. I think I was down Cornwall with Chris. Chris was doing his usual and having a kip in the van, as he does. Uh, and I was just sort of, I was, I was just chilling and... Uh, and, and sort of taking in the rays, which was lovely. Uh, and I was fishing. The fishing had been average. Uh, I can't remember the details of the tide or whatever. And then suddenly I was doing nothing different and it switched on. And I was catching, uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a peak period. I was catching scorpion fish. I was catching all the wrasse blah 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 it was it was a love it was a lovely little session and i'm doing it properly i'm not i'm not fishing with flavored baits i don't know if we'll get onto that and it's a shit storm normally when you start talking about the, the wonders of the some etc but it was it was noticeable and and as i sat there on my own i guess in the sun i kind of dawned on me that that there was this whole chain of predatory behavior through all of the fish so just pause there for a second and I'll go back to the top. So if you take your bass fishing seriously, you're probably aware that you need to concentrate and look on the tides if time allowed. So I kind of need everyone in their head to picture a tide graph. We're talking about uh, the wavy line thing. We're not talking about the yeah. numbers. We're talking about the cosine or whatever it's called. Where it, if on a spring tide, uh, the, the points and the troughs uh, are deeper. On a neap tide, yeah. it's shallower. But the important bit is the angle on that line. 
So the angle on that line is indicative of the speed of the tide. And once you're looking at various marks for bass fishing, you understand that being a big predatory fish such as a bass, uh, they're looking for an advantage over their prey fish. And that's basically more often than Mm -hmm. not tide. So that's why when you get to slack tide, quite often that's a terrible part to fish for predators because the predator doesn't have an advantage over the smaller prey fish. So the bass is probably thinking, well, it's pointless me rushing around now trying to catch one of these scad. Uh, because in, you know, like, oh, now now I'm talking like fish understand time. But bear yeah, with me. On. In an hour's time, the tide will be running and I'll have an advantage over these smaller bait fish and I'll clean up. So that's kind of how it works. But what what I'd never read or understood was the fact that if you think about it, some of the fish that I'm fishing for LRF wise, so let's use the example of the very, very cool uh, scorpion can fish. Can I just interrupt you? Can you just explain yeah. what LRF means? Um, oh, just quick, okay. just a quick one. So LRF right. stands for. So LRF. LRF stands for light yeah. rock fishing. It's complete nonsense. We kind of ended up with that as a phrase that's stuck. It's basically, in Japanese, it would be light yeah. game. It's just like ultralight lure fishing, I guess. I mean, and when I say ultralight, it's not unusual for me to be throwing right. a gram. Gotcha. So that kind of mixes things up yeah. a little bit. So where were we? So, so uh, with some of this... Uh, light lure fishing i'll be targeting something like a scorpion fish which you know let's face it probably not going to get much over six ounces that's what we're talking about here but i get fun from that others get fun from it it's incredibly cool fish and it is 100 percent a predator it's got a whacking great gob on it it eats crustaceans prawns and you know if it can get close enough it'll eat small fish easy um now, if you think about what's going on in that whole sphere, clearly a scorpion fish is a prey item for a decent-sized bass, or even a small bass, actually, mm. to be fair. So the interesting bit for me is when we're looking at that tide graph about when the bass is feeding, as, as you come down the, or up on the tide graph and it starts to shallow off, That'll be once that's a terrible once the bass loses the advantage over its prey item, there's a very, very small window for that prey item who I'm classifying as a predator, say the scorpion. Exactly. Because he's got smaller stuff again. And it's you link back to the cartoons or whatever of you know, there's always a bigger fish, there's a big fish eating Mm. a slightly smaller fish eating a slight sweat. And if you think about it, that chaos is going on every tide mm. cycle is you've got the smaller stuff is evading the bigger stuff until there isn't an advantage there. And then they've got an even smaller window at the end of tide uh, at the end of the tide to attack their prey before the same thing happens again. So what you find in LRF, if you're paying attention, is that there's a small window uh, before and after slack tide and that is when it all happens and to be honest with you i think that's probably why uh the majority of anglers that say they are participating in lrf start using the flavored baits because with those flavor baits you can almost fit almost fish all the way through the tide 
But actually, from a lure perspective, bear in mind this is a lure podcast, yeah. it, I, I just find that hugely interesting. Yeah. Like yeah. everything is a predator. Mm. And, and, and once you start thinking about things in that light, you can start targeting them specifically. So, I mean, Dan's particularly good at this. He blows my mind sometimes. Is you know, like, um, I don't. You you might be aware of the Cornish Lure Festival. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a, yeah. It was a forty-eight hour competition that was uh, well, probably still is put on by Ben down at mm-hmm. Art Fishing, and and for us in the species uh, competition, you know, like. God, we we dined on that for so long. It was such a buzz because you're trying to get as many species as possible within the techniques and you know uh, that you're allowed to use within that. And you've got your hit list of stuff, and you're like, well, I think I know where that lives. I think I know where that lives. But then you're trying to work out, even in a 48-hour period, you're trying to think, well, that's going to feed at that point at that place, and this is going to feed. And you can imagine that that becomes quite a puzzle, but it's it's entirely all-consuming if you think yeah, about definitely. it. And 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 really, I think that's kind of stuck with my fishing. Like, I appreciate I've got entirely the wrong audience here, but I love my bass fishing. Don't get me wrong; I was doing it all day yesterday. I had a terrific day out with friends, but I don't think I could be. Uh, a single species angler, if that makes sense. And I don't think that makes me any better or worse than anyone no, else. I agree with it's that. just my bizarre journey mm. that I've been on as we got there. How did we get here anyway? Can't even remember what you are. <laughs> well, one of the reasons I suggested to the lads, um, I'm the booking agent, you see. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, one of the reasons <laughs> you're on good commission. <laughs> one of the one of the reasons I suggested to the the boys about getting you on board is because of your diverse range of what you target. You know, yeah, I mean there are a lot of people that just target bass, um, but there's nothing wrong with targeting everything. You know, and your I, I hope your your comment about every fish is a predator of, as you know goes a long way because. It's very true, you know. It's not only in the salt; it's also in the fresh water as well. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, the reason we, you're here is to to let let the listeners loose on exactly your journey and what you do, and you know how you target different fish, and you know it's not it's not all yeah. about the giants. It's about you know what makes you tick, really, and it's the whole the whole spectrum of fishing by the sounds of it, which is fantastic. Well, let- Let's let's try and get across then what I think in retrospect. I don't know how many years it's been. Let's say it's five years. Let, let's have a look in retrospect then. What I might think that five years of, of fishing this ultralight approach might have given me back to any kind of fishing because it definitely right. has. So you know, I would imagine huge amount of bass anglers out there that are hungry to. You know, improve their their catch rate or the size of the fish already so let's kind of let's let's take that then that i'm being asked well what can lrf do for me as that person so i think the biggest one in there has got to be about balanced tackle if i'm using like a lure that weighs a gram or two grams three grams 
Can you imagine what that would be like if you tied a, a three gram lure on the end of your average bass rod uh, without changing the line or anything else? There, there wouldn't be any feel there, right? So the way to think about balanced tackle is you're trying to catch, well, this is the way I think about balanced tackle, I should say. I'm sure there's other ways. But it starts with the fish. You're trying to catch the fish. It's like, how can I present a lure to this fish in the most natural manner? Well, sometimes if the conditions are so so inclined that there's no wind, you know, no wind, low wind, no tide, low tide, to get that killer action that we know about when you you keep a lure in the kill zone as long as possible otherwise known as on the drop so that lovely flutter of a lure as it sinks through the the water column i think most people will understand that that is a jackpot you know you're you're really singing you're really on point when you're you're nailing that again and again and of course life isn't perfect Sometimes it's very hard to recreate that over and over again when you've got three knots of tide or you've got a, a four-six hooping up your, your your braid. But anyway, in an ideal scenario, to get that slow fall, you might need an incredibly light lure. On that day, you need an incredibly light lure. It might be a big lure, but it might not have a whacking great jig head at the front of it, for example. Like, like, again, can you imagine what it'd be like to put, if, if you've got one, let's, let's try and put this into bass terms, because I'm sure that must be the vast majority of the, the listeners here. If, you, if you've got a, a 30 gram max rating bass lure, can you imagine the lack of feel that you would have with three grams on it? with the same line and leader that he would use as usual. So, I mean, that's paint as illustrating it. That clearly, if you had to use, you know, a, a jig head and lure combo of five grams, despite the fact your bass rod might say that it casts from five grams, really, you are not, you are not using balanced tackle at that point. You should go much, 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 much mm-hmm. lighter. And because of that compression and because of the fact you're using lighter line, lighter leader that isn't so so springy, you will feel that you will feel more of that interaction with what's going on with the lure to the point where when that horse mackerel comes along and inhales that lure, you will feel that through the rod. There is no way on earth you would have felt that with a, Certainly a 14 gram rod in that scenario, certainly not a bass rod. So it's teaching you the benefits of that balance. And actually, it was super interesting yesterday out on the boat. It was a a great example of this, but in terms that people may understand a bit better. Oh, but I'm going to have to explain some other stuff along the way, like like why I'm such an idiot. So... uh, you may have mentioned this already. I work with a, a tackle company. Um, I'm more than happy to promote the excellent tackle that HTO creates. I should explain. I've heard other people say, oh, yeah, you know, these pro staff or sponsored anglers, it really ruins your fishing. Well, that's not been my experience. But yesterday, I would agree with you. In some senses, it ruins your fishing. I'll give you the example why. <laughs> so so it, sometimes, because 
you yourself actually not not the company you feel some pressure to put various items of tackle through its paces and i've had the awesome nebula sps in my possession for not much more than a season haven't fished them as much as as i'd like to pete thumbs up to you i think you had some uh, input in those awesome work um but i tend because of my nature and because of most of the fishing that i do at the moment i tend to gravitate between the but to the lighter of the two rods Yesterday, I had a grand plan. I was going to push out deep. I've had some good fish in the ex- exact week and tide uh, in previous years. Um, that was my plan to push out about as far as I do, uh, about 100 foot of water, not particularly deep, but bear in mind I'm based in the Solent, so it doesn't drop off as quickly as it does to the east and west of me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, right, this is the ideal occasion for me to take the heavier nebula the casting weight escapes me what the uh, sp25 yeah e- 12 to 40 yes gram. yes Eight yeah. Foot two. yeah the longer one yeah so uh as it would happen i had uh, a full boat yesterday uh this is where i put my little asterisk caveat two meter right uh two meter rule applied all uh covid <laughs> restrictions were applicable through the day no one <laughs> died in the process yes <laughs> And um, we had a full boat, and basically, you have to limit the tackle you got on a boat, or it just becomes chaos. So, last-minute decision, I leave me baby Nebula SP, which I prefer to use, way happier with it, and I take the big boy. And I'm stuck with that big boy all day. So, we're out fishing the grounds that we do. We're in between 70 foot and 105 foot of water. Yesterday's tide was... Not baby, baby, but on the small side of middle. Uh, I had a northerly wind that was pushing me a little bit faster. But to be honest with you, the the drift speed kind of maxed out three miles an hour. Uh, and it was it was perfectly fine for for most of most of the tide run. Uh, the nut, the longer the short, short of it is, is the baby rod would have done me just fine. So I'm using a heavier rod. I'm getting away with between 30 grams and 50 gram. No, I think I went to 60 grams. 30 grams and 60 gram jig heads with a, a big, a big soft plastic lure on the end of it. So while that probably sounds heavy to quite a lot of people, it's not really that heavy. And I think in retrospect of yesterday, the rod that I was using, really, I should be using that when I'm using 75 gram jig heads, big soft plastics plastics, above. So I wasn't yesterday and it was my own fault because I succumbed to the pressure of being this super glamorous rock star, not sponsored angler. And the the great thing about it was, is I have two mates fishing alongside me, fishing very similarly, but they're not as stupid as me. They're fishing exactly how they want to fish, consequently, exactly right. And I got completely owned yesterday. You might have seen a picture of an, of me with a nice bass uh, on Instagram or Facebook, but the reality is I got owned three to one by my good friends, mm. what were good <laughs> friends. And... um 
And really, like today, before this, well, you know, apart from worrying about what the nonsense I was going to speak about on this podcast, was me kind of evaluating what the hell just happened. I just got owned there. It's embarrassing. Um, and that's the reality, is that rod, I know loads of people would pick up that rod and think, this will do me for all of my bass fishing. And it would. But the reality is, and we chatted about this yesterday on the boat, myself and Dan, is once you've done the really light end of the spectrum and you know what's possible, and by that, let's link back to my example of you've got a three gram slow jig falling through 10 foot of water and you can feel the moment that a horse mackerel inhales that. Never, never mind touches it, just inhales it. Once you know that thing exists, you can't unknow that thing. Mm. And it's just, it's killer, man, that I'm using a rod that was very much perfect for the job, but it wasn't perfect enough. If I'd been on the lighter rod and I'd had better compression with, as I said, 30 to 60 gram rather than 75 plus, which I didn't need on the day, I would have caught as many fish as everyone else alongside me. That's a classic example. And how the hell do you explain that to someone? It's like I say, once you know it, you know it, and then you miss it. But, you know, you know someone, someone could easily buy that rod I'm talking about and think this is the best bass rod for vertical traction, whatever I've ever used but it's not optimal. And then you get in this ludicrous, and now it's going to sound like an advert, for which I apologise for, because this is very much not about that, is you get in the scenario that some of us are in, myself included, where you've got a ridiculous amount of outfits. Like, so, like I spend a lot of time fishing on my boat alone, just through the fact that I'm more flexible in my work with my friends. I've got eight rod holders on my boat, four on the top, four on the back of the seat. Sometimes they're awful just for me and I've got other rods hidden in the in the cuddy there just in case I think, oh, this isn't quite right. I'm going to step down five grams. It's mental. Mm. It's utterly mental. Do you agree with any of that? I'm talking rubbish again. No, I, I, mate, I, I, oh, it's you're fascinating. opening up my mind. It's fascinating to me and it's opening my mind, the same as Rich just said there. Like... I, we, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure Pete's probably done a bit of it, but I've never really fished LRF style ultra ultra light. But um, I found myself fishing lighter and lighter every season, really. And I'm definitely getting better results because, like you say, you, you, everything just improves the touch, the feel, what you're looking for your senses are heightened towards certain things so i can imagine what you're saying about going ultra light and then going back to kind of you know fishing for your bass like yeah you, you can't unlearn what you've learned no absolutely i mean we 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 touched base on it when mark was on a couple of weeks ago you know we, we even out in 250 foot of water we're trying to fish as light as we can sometimes 60 grams and that that sounds crazy but yeah it's not you know, it's 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 the right thing to do, and you know, there's a dis- difference between an angler fishing sixty grams and an angler who's fishing next to him fishing two hundred grams. You know, and it's it's learning why why to do something and why something's not happening, and you know, trying to implement that change. Um, 
And once... oh my god, man, you're so right. That whole overweighted plummet—I always think of it—plummet like a stone effect of being overweighted for the for the conditions, the depth, the tide, maybe the you know the the effect the wind is having on your line above the the water. If you've got that plummet like a stone thing, your catch rate—I mean, we're talking. Uh, Gutted, I would say. Your catch rate is gutted at that point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way of looking at it. <laughs> You've mentioned before, uh, Mad, about um, freshwater fishing and how you sort of. Yeah, man, that same, was the same light. Yeah, you. I'll try not to bore you with another long winded you know, a story of how the hell I got there. but They call him King of the Wasps. Yeah, Wasp Whisperer. <laughs> I've heard that one. Yeah, uh, Wasp being a small perch, perch obviously, yeah. with stripes. Um, and, yeah, look, basically, so I've, I think I've explained already, like, uh, diehard salt angler from a very young age. And then, of course... Your trophy wife uh, reels you in, and uh, grown-up life catches up with you. Work gets serious, and before you know it, you've moved to the middle of friggin' nowhere in land. You're <laughs> fifty, sixty miles away from the sea and, with the worst fi- Wi-Fi. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Still not been proved. It's my end. <laughs> Um, and, um, yeah, you know, you're, you're dying inside cause you, you're not getting, you're not getting your, your medicine, your fishing in. And, um, as well, actually, despite the fact that I sighed, which hopefully didn't come across on, uh, on the recording there, when I mentioned my trophy wife, uh, it was her that saw this drop in my, um, demeanor, should we say. And, and she actually came, uh, Oh, God, she's lovely, really. I'm thinking about it now. But anyway, she came to me and, and, and highlighted the fact that there was a perfectly good canal uh, down the road from where we live now, inland. And that canal, as it happens, ended up being uh, the Kennet and Avon Canal. I'm quite close to Hungerford up in Berkshire. And as it would happen, that turns out to be one of the best uh, canal perch waters in, in the United Kingdom, arguably. I mean, not that I cared. I mean, I can remember watching uh, whoever was on TV in the 90s round Dan's flat, probably Matt Hayes. And yeah. I know I'm not going to make any uh, friends with this statement, but mocking the freshwater, uh, mocking the freshwater anglers and shouting at the telly, they can't get away because they're all <laughs> in like, lakes or whatever. Uh, <laughs> like, like we were some superior, uh, superior uh, beings fishing in the salt with our smelly bait. But anyway, uh, begrudgingly, some would say, uh, got into, uh, got into, you know, I signed up for a, a pass to get me a ticket to get me on the Kennet and Avon at Hungerford for a season. And the rest is history. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I the only genius in my freshwater perch fishing success is I have zero history, zero legacy with predator fishing in the UK. 
like many years on now, I see it, I know about it, I can't, I can see a traditional predator angler from a miles off. And again, I'm not comparing myself and saying I'm better, literally just didn't know any different. So there's me turning up at, at the grimy canal and I've got a bag of um, like rock fishing lures. You know, I've got one to three grand jig heads and one inch plastics and I don't know any better. I, I, I don't know what people are fishing. I, I don't, I couldn't name any savage gear predator lures. And, and I started fishing and, and, it, and it was amazing. And, and again, this is a retrospect comment here. Uh, the fishing for perch especially was amazing. And I can say that now because now I know what I'm doing and what I'm talking about. And I know I'm a better angler. I don't catch half the amount of fish as I did then. And really what we're talking about there is bringing something new to pressured fish. So I'm hopefully going to get myself a get out of jail card here. So when Dan and I were naively mocking freshwater fish, uh, freshwater anglers for the fact that their fish couldn't get away in these lakes, what we'd failed to see was, and what we don't really experience in the sea very often, is a pressured fish, a fish that has seen a lure a gazillion times. Yeah, mm. I mean, you can imagine some of these pounds, i.e. from lock to lock, in some of these canal stretches, especially in a where there's a gradient and you get a lock quite often, it, their world is pretty small. They've seen everyone walk along there, especially somewhere like Hungerford. It's, it's a very popular place. It's a pretty place. You can get yourself a sausage roll when your fingers get cold. <laughs> it's pretty much paradise. Um, but they've seen everything. And in retrospect, when, when I turned up and subsequently when Dan turned up with me and we were throwing all this weird shit at them, uh, they were loving it. They'd never seen it before. They were like, that looks nice. Eat that. Bosh. Oh, okay. Brilliant. That's a 38 centimetre perch. Yeah, that takes a nice photo. A bit different than a bass. I'll throw it back. And, oh, there's a 40 centimetre perch and a 35. <laughs> and like now, those are dream days. So I, I look back, you know, I've listed some of these occurrences on my blog, if only just to help my poor elderly memory cope with trying to remember some of these things and i look back at some of that fishing early early days and think blimey that was good and again you know there's a theme here nothing to do with my skill whatsoever just a a pure fluke that i did something remotely different not knowing anything better or right or what the rules were i was within the rules but you know the the legacy, the tradition of fishing for perch in canals. Perch never seen it before. Bosh, caught some lovely fish. Mm. And then, uh, and then you know, subsequently, we were getting into it. We were really enjoying it, actually. You know, when it would turned out that, that, you know, where I am so far away from the coast and Dan's still down in Portsmouth, where I'm from, where the boat is. And co- consequently, we'd quite swap around a little bit. Is when you know, the frustration that we all know as, as boat owners, especially uh, is when the forecast is wrong and you've got nothing to do. Well, funnily enough, when it's a force five or even a force six, uh, here I am in land, land up on the Hampshire, Berkshire border. You can still go fishing in a six. So that became quite a regular commute is, you know, if the weather was good, I'd commute down to the sea and we'd go off land based or off in the boat fishing and, 
Consequently, if we were disappointed with the forecast, then Dan would come up to me and we'd go down the canal and we'd have a lovely time. It was a really, really, really productive period. And we got really into it. We didn't really buy into the history. We were just happy doing what we were doing. It was quite chilled, which is the LRF way. And then then I guess what happened was um, we discovered that there was a competition scene and it kind of... One of my weaknesses, I guess, is 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 I am competitive. I like a competition, and we got we got drawn into it. And and I, I don't know when it was. I'm trying to think now. Um, 2014 rings a bell, just to give some paint the picture a bit better. And 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 um, a guy set up the British Lure Angling Championships, which may sound grand and certainly in 2014 it sounded very grand to me and, <laughs> yeah. and I knew I needed to be a part of it I didn't know what I was doing knew I needed to be a part of it because I loved it and uh, I loved lure fishing Not that, and I didn't at all think that we were better than anyone else because I still didn't know and then um, our, the, the, the grand prize was uh, was um, the final was going to be a Sky Sports, believe it or not. Wow, Sky Sports. We've gone backwards, haven't we? <laughs> it was a Sky Sports televised final on Chew Valley Reservoir. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know much about freshwater fishing, but I knew about Chew Reservoir being something special yeah. and that people were paying good money to go yeah. on it. And I thought, yeah, this is just great. I might get on the telly. Hello, man. <laughs> um, so we, Dan and I decided we were going to sending our 20 30 quid whatever it was we were worried we knew we were outsiders we 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 knew we didn't know what we were doing really so we one of the one of the uh qualifiers yet qualify for the final i think qualification was like top six position uh one of the one of the qualifiers was on a close stretch to me on the Kennet and Avon, so clearly that's what our game plan was about. And because we were so scared, uh, we decided that we were going to book the match before the local match, so that we could just try and understand. Yeah, a bit of a knowledge uh, collecting exercise. We could try and sort of gain an idea of what the hell this nonsense was all about and how far behind we were basically in the hope that when it came to a local water I could go and practice it might be a slim chance we could get through so I remember the day this is one of my strongest memories because it was just mental we jumped in Dan's van we drove down to Exeter ship canal never been there before didn't know what to expect I had previously done a lot of practice on the Kennet and Avon. I'd looked through the terms and you know the rules, the you know what you can do, what you can't do, how how's the winner decided in this this competition format. And my interpretation of the rules were that well, all fish, all fish, well, sorry, all perch and pike did count of any size. And I knew we were particularly good at fishing small stuff. Back to one gram jig heads, one inch shads. Yeah. Uh, so that was our strategy, right? We would try and build up a length. The winner was on the total length. And I started to go and practice on the Kennet and Avon. 
and we and we had success. Well, we knew we were going to have success, but we were taking light rock fishing mentality, applying it to this manky old canal, and we were catching lots of perch. I mean, I always seem to lean on twelve centimeter perch for whatever reason because I think it sounds funny as a grown adult. <laughs> with a beard fishing for 12 centimetre perch. But, you know, we caught lots of 12 centimetre perch, but we also caught lots of 30 centimetre perch. Amazing. Um, and I remember, the, I remember the day, Dan and I were like bouncing off each other as you do as fishing mates, buzzing about it. Oh, I think this is going to work if we've got a chance. Yeah. And I remember I went for my last practice session up on a stretch of canal further up the road at Marlborough, still to Kennet and Avon. And I fished a stretch and I runned and gunned it, my terminology being I just fished the features, so lock gates, sluices, near bank overhangs, anything that I could visibly see. And I runned and gunned it like bosh, 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 bosh. And I, I absolutely destroyed it. And I remember getting to this lock in some kind of euphoria that I knew that this was going to work, even though I didn't know it was going to work. This is just when confidence takes over. And I rang Dan and I was telling him about it and how it was working. Uh, and we had real excitement up towards this this match, but still not really knowing what we were up against. So it was, it was only really us getting ourselves at it, really. <laughs> and then the day of the first comp comes around, we jump in the van, as I say, we get down to Exeter, I'm going to cut this fairly short, but we turned up. Bear in mind, this is our practice run. We, this is our practice run for my local uh, qualifier, and we absolutely tonked it. And again, this is by no means a dig at anyone in terms of us being better than them. We just brought something different to the party, a bit like we were talking about before, like borrowing over here from this kind of fishing and taking mm. it over there for that kind of fishing. Yeah. I can't remember the details, but I came in in first with like five metres of fish. I think second place had two metres of fish. Dan, who had never even fished the method before in a canal, came fourth and we both qualified at the first point of asking. Well, <laughs> again, not about me. I'm just hoping that some of some of the listeners out there can understand that as grown men, we were just jumping around <laughs> for joy. We were like, I can't believe this has just happened. Mental. And, and, and really, that was the start of it. And again, it was total luck just doing something different i mean if they can get anything across to listeners just do something different and and it might work and nine times out of ten it won't work but that one time you might absolutely destroy everything and, and really that's led on to to everything and now i found find myself fishing for xander and pike and perch in reservoirs to be honest with you right right this second Adam Kirby in 2020. I'm really looking forward to September again. Predator season starting up on the likes of Grafham Water, Rutland. And and that's quite new for us in terms of doing it properly and thinking about it. And we've we've learned in previous years actually how the similarities there are between, for example, bass and Xander. I mean, these Xander go well, they're, they're on their way towards 20 pounds. I mean, certainly double figure fish. Mm. Um, and, and we've learned the similarities there between vertical fishing for bass and vertical fishing for Xander. And in fact, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to trying, which I've not done enough of, 
is actually fishing traction for Xander, which I believe was always a sea bass. I know they do traction for Xander in in uh, mm. Europe because I've looked. But so many similarities, just how deadly that on-the-drop part is towards the bottom. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. And, and if you'd asked me that previously, I, I wouldn't have even known about it. And now I'm finding myself going down another avenue that I'm really, really enjoying the sport. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's freshwater fishing. I, I don't know how we got here, but yeah, <laughs> all good. <laughs> And I've got to say, mate, we are super jealous of your your rig you've got out at sea. Um, when did you when did you get hold of your your boat, and how has how has your fishing sort of adapted now that you're predominantly fishing from from your boat? Oh my god, Hot Pursuit is my boat. Uh, it's a twenty five foot centre console. Um, it's a rocket ship, and Again, I suppose this might be coming through in this podcast that I'm a bit of a weirdo. It's it's a strange boat to see a serious angler fishing from, especially down my way. Oh, I'm afraid. Uh, I apologise up front. There's another story with this one. I will try and make it quick. So, right, mate, I've just put so... my phone on charge, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, for my sins... Uh, I started working, Dan and I started working with Sea Angler magazine uh, way back when. And it was, again, a case of just being, not being sensible enough to say no when they asked. So <laughs> LRF, LRF was growing as a sensible UK publisher, grown-up company. They were wise enough and clever enough to notice that that was gaining some traction in the UK, and social media especially. But I don't think they'd mind me saying that in early days they were getting it way, way wrong. And um, to give them their due, with all the flack that they got in the magazine, um, Paul Fennick there actually stood up and decided they were going to do something about it. And they actually approached us, which I thought was, was really quite humble. As you know, like we've read, Dan and I read Sea Angler magazine as much as us had for decades. You know, it was, it was, it was, there was pre internet, there wasn't anything else. You just get your monthly copy of Sea Angler magazine. So, of mm. course, when they asked us whether we would help them with LRF content, we, we kind of took it upon ourselves that it was our, our duty almost to um, to get some of that to get some of that information across. And it, I won't say it's easy. Can you imagine, like like in a in a in a monthly publication, having to write about the basics of what you love again and again and again? It wasn't always easy, but there were some immense perks to the job and obviously to me now I'm thinking back the the biggest perk of the job is when I got uh, um, a call from Paul out of the blue to say um, I need an answer in the next 10 minutes but would you like to go to Florida next week to enter a tarpon competition? Um, oh, you need 10 minutes. Dreams, Don't, that, Jesus, right? that's like call of <laughs> dreams for me. It's like, that's like yeah. every dream. Again, again, I told you, I think right at the beginning that if I have any skill, which I'm not sure I have, it's luck. And that happened. And I said, yes. 
and I find myself uh, jetting off to 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 Florida. I mean, luck goes both ways, and as most of my angling luck would have it, despite the fact I was in Florida and having an awesome time, the weather let us down again. Yeah, you know, well, well done. You're a sea angler. You're used to that by now. The fishing was pants. Uh, I don't even understand what happened. Some front, I think I'm paraphrasing here. Some front came in, tarpon buggered off. It was crap. But (laughs) I had, not having ever, uh, yeah, not ever having been to Florida before, never mind fished in Florida before, I had my eyes opened. Um, And... I can say certainly with great confidence, I did the best blanking of my fishing career. (laughs) I certainly enjoyed the blanking experience more than I have ever before or since. And really the reason for that was, as I say, the eye-opening effect of being out in Florida. Those that have been will know just how frigging different it is over there to where we are and oh god i've got to talk about i sound such a gay i'm talking about my missus again when i came back she told me that i was a different person it basically ruined me i am (laughs) i was half the man before but now i'm only a quarter since florida it destroyed my life the uh 40 years leading up to that point i'd I felt that I'd beaten my way through life and I was fairly happy in life, I think, at that point. But going to Florida, seeing what the anglers' lives were like, seeing what the boats were like, the fishing was like, the fish was like, it destroyed me. And I remember just in my head intensely asking myself, a question about everything that I thought I already knew about fishing. So this, <laughs> I, I don't know if I was having a break, a fishing breakdown, maybe it was enjoyable, but I was having a fishing breakdown. And I remember listening to the skippers on the boats. So we were, so it's so, like, all right, I'll paint the picture a little bit. I say I was enjoying the blanking of not catching tarpon in terrible conditions. I can't remember the exact stats. I think I was on a, uh, maybe a, it was a 30 something foot yellow fin center console 30, boat 32 yeah uh, yeah let's say 32 or 36 um, it had tw- it had twin well this might help it had twin 300s on the back yeah so anyway you know like I, I grew up most of my life in a fishing club where if someone turned up with a new boat and it had a 70 horsepower on the back of it, they were like flash. They would be mocked for months <laughs> for having a 70 horsepower boat. <laughs> and, and I grew up with that and it was ingrained with me. I mean, at this point, I haven't talked about those huge swathes of angling missing from my life here. But at this point, you know, I had a three-way ownership of a Raider 18, which is a flipping good boat in the UK at 115 Horses on the back, some would say slightly overpowered, Suzuki on the back. And again, you know, like I'm trying to paint the picture here. I was very happy about my fishing life <laughs> until I saw how they did it in Florida. 
and it like one thing that sticks with me and kind of explains why I went the way I did with Hot Pursuit. I might need your help a little bit here, Pete, because you've got the experience with Martin, was was listening to how far they were willing to travel in these fast fishing boats Mate. in a day. Like, like, what are we talking here, Pete? Like, how far in a day, how far would they travel just to go fishing somewhere to then travel well, back? Like, like let mileage. me just tell you this little story. So, my, my first time out in Florida with Martin, been out there a few times with him, um, and anyway, I got off the plane, went back to the house, went out, had something to eat, went back again and said, right, we're going tuna fishing at two o'clock in the morning. I'm like, right, okay, okay, cool. I'm still sort of like taking it all in, thinking, right, don't know what to expect. Obviously, I've seen all the pictures and a little bit of video of what they do out there and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so we get in, get in the truck, well, we load the truck, get in, get down to Canaveral where the boat's kept. And, um, you know, boat-wise, Ad, as you were just saying, in front of me is a, a 40-foot yellowfin with triple V8s on the back. And, um, <laughs> yeah, we were just on our way out to go 120 miles to catch tuna. It's yeah, mental. We were, we were off out. I mean, bearing in mind, so we went, we travelled 120 miles and we did all the trolling and drifting and everything else around with it and travelling to different spots. Um, then obviously you do the trip back. So, you know, we probably did 300 miles in a day, but we we did at least a, a minimum of 120 distance um, just to go and catch a tuna. So, yeah, I mean, some of them go even further. I mean, you know, they'll when they're going out to catch tuna, they're, they're, as Mark was saying, they're obviously, you know, they're not using sounders and stuff, but so to speak, it's mainly looking for bird packs. They, it's the radar, so you know yeah. and they won't stop until they find a bird pack basically and that could be 120 140 160 it's wherever the birds are you know and they just keep going and going so yeah i think those guys they're just prepared to do whatever to take themselves to to the to the limits really to go and catch a fish which i think is dedication in itself and i think you know that's what i love about that whole Florida fishing boats, skippers, the buzz. It's just everything around it. Everything's sort of like, you know, inflated massively. And um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, you, you nailed that, man. You nailed that in terms of dedication. And that's exactly how it made me feel. Was it made me feel, it made me question, I suppose, whether I was successful as angling as I thought I was. And I say that, in my own mind, not saying that to you that I think I'm successful, but we all think we're successful. And it made me, it made me question that. And it made me think like, you know, you're talking about distances there in my world, Solent angling club world, we've arguably the best of the best of the, you know, the, the, the um, non-professional anglers, you know, like the, the furthest you would even hear about would be doing the Alderney run in a in a uh, an owned boat, not a professional boat. And I'd, I'd, I've long forgotten what those distances are, but I think it's probably sixty mile. Yeah. Uh, and most people would almost question the sanity of someone that was willing to do that that trip. And I think even now, even now, like I've corrected some of this uh, with a boat purchase. 
I still get a bit scared if I can't see the Isle of Wight. <laughs> I don't I don't have any conception what it's like to travel 120 miles to go after your target species rather than just go fishing. And I just think that that's mental. And I think I think it's probably coming across on this podcast that I was having some kind of breakdown <laughs> thinking as a as a 40-year-old as I'm sure I'm not the only one maybe starting to kind of breathe out a little bit and thinking yeah i'm on top of this life this is, is all right breathe out a little bit I'm on top of this wife uh, on top of this life oi, oi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got that part of my life sorted i've got that part so fishing's good and then suddenly getting this massive florida smack in the face and uh, you a very long time ago now you asked me about my boat so there you go i, ca- I came back I'd been working in London. That's what was behind this. And I was hating every minute of it. I was doing it to to catch up with life. I'm sure people listening of a certain age can appreciate what I'm talking about. I was trying to get on top of it, you know, as we all do. And it never seems to end. And it was killing me, man. I was doing four hours a day, four hours a day commute. My life was just, you know, half half of it was gone seemingly and I needed an out but obviously don't get the violins out I was doing it for a reason I was earning good money and I and I think really that was the start of the catalyst in my head to go right I haven't cashed out at all from my six seven years up in London sod it I'm going to buy a boat it's obviously not going to be a 30 odd foot yellow fin but I bought into the idea of it I mean, I've missed lots. You know, I'm, I'm fishing on a centre console out in Florida for the first time. Yeah. And suddenly the boat is making sense to what I enjoy, which is lure fishing. It's like all our boats are supposed to face face out the stern and fish. But when you're lure fishing, fish are out the front or out the side or out the back. Or they're 360 degrees around mm. you a lot of the time. Yeah. And it made sense since, you know, I was only on this thing, you know, it was a couple of days on a boat, for God's sake. But it, it was enough that I was seeing, this is this is the tool for the job, albeit over the top, but this is a tool for the job. So I came back and this thing was obviously burning in the back of my head. <laughs> and I hope it's coming across that I am, like many, many, many of you are, fishing junkies. Yeah. And I made the decision that I was going to change my life a little bit. And I jacked in the job and the money. And I I spent some of the savings that I'd amassed on Hot Pursuit. I couldn't afford it. I still can't. I know even more so now I can't afford it. Uh, I couldn't afford it then, really. Uh, I can't afford you know the, the the fees that go along with a boat when once you oh God's sake like once you I I don't know how the ratio works from boat length to marina fees but it's it's way beyond Einstein understanding how that shit <laughs> is that with leg up or down Ed? oh I've, I've yeah I've been close to chopping bits <laughs> off put it that and and uh and yeah so i bought this thing only really that in my search for the right boat and there's not many there's there's some there's some today right now there's some boats that fit the bill some nice center consoles that have somehow made their way across to to europe and the united kingdom and and unfortunately i stumbled across 
Hot Pursuit. And um, I fell in love, as many boat owners will tell you the same story, is a mistress. Um, and there she is. I'm glad you oh, like her. I think her. she's the I'm much. glad I can... Uh, I, I, I'm glad I can... Um, I'm glad I can uh, pay for... Uh, all of your enjoyment. I'm saying this with a <laughs> smile on my face. I'm I'm lying. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's been an awesome journey. So I don't know how I'm coming across at this moment because probably as a boat owner, as most boners, I'm sat on the fence. Like one day is killing me, and the next day it's the best day of my life. Mate, so it's, it, it's I mean, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually surprised because um, after your British Lure Angling Championship win i was fully expecting expecting you to say you went over to florida caught a massive tarpon and won a boat (laughs) (laughs) that would have been the sensible thing to do that would have been the sensible (laughs) thing to do that certainly would have been the preference from my other half but um but mate i mean you know jacking your job in and just yeah buying a boat is tops it i think Class. Well, what the, to be honest, it, it's it's funny. I didn't really explain it very well, but the jacking the job in bit, it's you know this is this is. I I openly said to everyone at the time, I am I am like I I stood up to the world on social media and I said I am having my midlife crisis <laughs> now, <laughs> and it it's ridiculous, right? The jacking the job bin bit came afterwards. This is how ridiculous my mind was working after the after Florida <laughs> ruined. It, is I bought the boat and then I decided I've spent so much on this bloody boat. I've got a job jack my job in because when am I going to use the boat? <laughs> like that's just mental. Fair play. Brilliant, mate. So do you, do you do you mostly fish like from the boat? I mean, obviously it's a everywhere in everywhere in between in essence, isn't it? I remember some comments. I'm going to call them old friends. They're still friends, but you know what I mean. They're traditional friends. And I still remember comments from when I posted up that, um, when I posted up what I'd, what I'd stupidly purchased. And one of them was, you bought that to catch (laughs) blue. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Like I, I have caught Tom Pop Lenny's on my 24 foot, 250 horsepower boat. I've done that. Amazing. I still, I still, chase species because i love it like like that's not going to go away a big part of lrf for me we didn't cover it at the beginning a big part of it for me which it you know it probably takes up 50 percent of lr i'm saying this in uh wanker <laughs> um air, air inverted commas lrf anglers um it's about species and 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 I, ju- I just love all fish and and maybe i portrayed that somewhere along the way i'm not I'm not a monochrome one species bass angler. I'm mm. not a bass angler. I I love all fish. You know, I I I like catching mm. pouting at certain times. Uh, maybe not when I've spent a gazillion pounds in fuel to visit a wreck somewhere across the horizon. But sometimes I enjoy catching them. I, I can see the worst in all species, so I do do the small stuff for that reason. But as you would expect. And the really the reason, harking back to the whole thing we were talking about with Florida and what Pete was explaining, it's to allow me to to do more stuff. So I'm 
I'm all the way through now. Like, I mean, well, I say all the way through. What does that mean? So I'm doing the light stuff. Then you've got stuff like um, Black Bream, which is a passion for us. And we've really cracked it in the last year or so. Uh, Place is fairly regular for us now. on Amazing. And then it kind of steps up to maybe the more traditional, well, definitely the more traditional targets. I love the How's your cuckoo count now, mate? Obviously that stems uh, zero this year. But that's a, you, that's a funny anecdote, right? So I log, uh, you know, like as any good skipper would, with an equivalent of a black book, which is obviously digital these days, I, I log uh, stuff that's interesting. and Well, I log most stuff now. And actually, if I was to look today at what distances I've done in hot pursuit, the furthest distance that I do with any regularity, and what I mean is I will do it every year just for the fun of it, is the run I make round the corner towards you guys to a lump of rock which has a gazillion species on it, including cuckoo, Pete, which is why you jogged my memory there. So how about that for a load of nonsense? I've got this posh, swanky boat, 250 horsepower. I drive along the coast, not ever being much further than a mile off the coast, to fish a lump of rock that's got a load of mini species on it. <laughs> and and, and it's, I know it's mental, but I absolutely mm. freaking love it. Um, and I can't explain it. So it's all the way through. I love my ras fishing. Always love my ras fishing from the shore. Um we found some huge lumps, uh, both you guys and uh, us, our side of, of Salesy Bill, have some amazing, amazing rasmussen yeah. from the boat. And uh, we really, really, really enjoy that because it's often, it's often a low tide situation. So you can really concentrate on the technique and, uh, and yeah, I love that. We've got some massive, massive fish that, that mm. come out every year. And then, of course, all the way up to, to pollock and, and bass fishing. And I don't profess to be an expert uh, either. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. And, and, you know, I've, you know and, and for me, it's, it's, it's as much about it's as much about the techniques as it is the fish themselves. So I spend a lot of time slow jigging. I spend a lot of time doing shads. I know I'm away behind uh, Mr. Cook there on things like traction, um, but I'm enjoying the journey. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, I don't want to rush right the way to the end. I want to enjoy it on the way. Yeah, the absolutely. Way there. So, all good. With a few, with a few unexpected bonuses along ah. the way that you're not expecting to see. Like so, yes. Like, like what, mate? Enlighten us. Yeah, you can't just oh, sort of. Uh, uh, you can't yeah. just sort of just say, a, you know, give us a cliffhanger and then not go through with it. You just got to tell us what you're talking oh, about. Oh, I, I don't, I don't know. Let me have a think. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, the one that pops into my head is the time that I was fishing Brackersham Bay for place a mile off the shore. And a swordfish swam by. Never. <laughs> you do not understand the level of excitement that went through myself and Rick when that video hit the web because... It must have gone through... The level of excitement must have gone through the, the UK fishing scene. Like a train first Tokyo, first of all, when you, when you put the boat up and I, we both saw it and was just like, have you seen Adam Kirby's boat he's got? It's like a Florida boat in England. 
And then second of all, this video that you're talking about, and literally sent it to each other, just doing, like literally on the other end of the phone to each other, going mental. Uh, can you, like, I, at this stage, I'm going to kneel on the floor and bow to whichever God uh, he believes in. Uh, Chris Wheeler, another um, long-standing friend of mine, uh, is a genius because it was him who ha- had the foresight, well, firstly, for spotting it in the first place, up the up the stern of the boat while I was up the bow. You know, it's a, it's a long way when you've got 25 foot <laughs> Uh, uh, firstly for that but secondly for the genius under what were quite special circumstances to get his phone out and record the thing can you imagine right let's let's do the let's do the you know could have gone a different way i've just told you the mental stuff i've done about a boat and now i'd be telling you about a swordfish (laughs) that swam by you'd all be thinking let's go let's just ditch the podcast (laughs) and move on to episode six but chris thankfully recorded the bloody thing and yeah the rest is history and and, and the internet lit up like and a christmas tree it, it's um can you, mental. i'm sure I, I remember when we had comms over this swordfish and um i'm sure you told me in a message that you actually threw a lure at it and turned its head and he turned I its did. head didn't you yeah and I know, I know all of yeah, you. Yeah, 100%. 100%, mate. Whatever I had in my hand would have gone straight at it. I was place fishing, and I know the spot I was in, so I know the depth and the tide. I know I would have been using 10 to 14 grams, and it would have been like, a, like almost like a Carolina rig. So it would, it, it would have been a, well, it would have been a fixed lead, not a running lead. It would have had a short amount of line and I would have had, I know it was an LRF law because I can remember, I can remember telling the story, but it wouldn't have been anything much than about three or four inch worm lure, right? I'm fishing for place, let's face it. They've got stupid little mouths. You need tiny lures to wedge something in there, tiny hooks. I'm on the bow. So if you know anything about uh, American center consoles, you know that, that they've got this flare thing going on on the bow. And, and what that means is, is on a calm day, I can stand on the very front of the bow and I've basically got water underneath me, such as the flare on the on mm-hmm. the front of the boat because it, it, it flares up it? so that you actually, that front of that boat has, has got water below it. I'm stood up there. Chris has signaled to me. We were in an R in. Unbeknown to me, started filming the bloody thing. And just as any of you would have done as a keen angler, you can't help yourself (laughs) for one second. There is no future until it happens. You're not thinking about where am I going to land this day? That happens a lot, but this was, this was another level. (laughs) And you just put a cast in instinctively. So, you know, I'm on probably a 10 pound, 10 pound leader no i don't my braid probably wasn't even 10 pound i put a cast in and like obviously of this is quite a common thing for me but is when when a scenario happens you don't go for another rod and you certainly you know from experience you haven't got time to tie something else on but sometimes use the wrong application in a different way 
So like I flicked it out in front of him, landed quite well. I'll give myself a pat on the back for, <laughs> for where it landed, you know, in, in, in the radar, in the radar of this fish that was heading away from me. And I gave it the kind of God, I've never even done this fishing, but you know, the YouTube uh, muscle memory kicked in and I gave it the whack whack on the right <laughs> foot, like you would on a popper or something. <laughs> and it pretty well hurt. Got it right, and I and I know it was a turn. I know I'm not talking myself into this because it lit up like a bloody Christmas tree. It went bright blue, and I probably stopped breathing <laughs> and died for a little bit. And I remember I'm stood, I'm stood on the on the on the on the on the bow of my boat facing this fish, which turns on me as I'm reeling in. And of course, nothing happens because it probably doesn't want to eat this silly little thing to be honest with you i think what happened was it probably turned on the i don't know what to call it but i guess as i as i yanked the weight the ball weight through the water it probably created some kind of vacuum or something and i think it probably turned on that so although it turned on it it didn't really lock on but it turned the fish and there was a beautiful moment that i'll never forget is the fish swam gracefully bright blue the back of it was almost like marble it looks like bright blue marble and it it swam straight underneath me and i'll never forget that image and and really it's it's moments like that that make me pay the marine bill (laughs) every year i mean it's becoming harder to get those moments and obviously (laughs) i very much doubt we'll ever eclipse that one but yeah you know, in in a moment that boat paid for itself. I mean, it could have happened on any boat. Amazing. Of course, it could. Yeah. But in my mind, it happened because Amazing. of that boat. You know, I've, I mean, this. Uh, I, I, you know, it almost could have ended up a tabloid story, wouldn't it? Like, uh, South Coast idiot buys a Florida speedboat, and suddenly there's yeah. a Florida fish. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly there's a marlin in, in Bracklesham Bay. It's mental. It, it writes Did you identify it as a, a swordfish straight away? Did you look at it and go, geez, that's a swordfish, or did you just... No. No, I, I wouldn't know any different, mate. I, um, you know, I'm starting at the small end of the scale, which has hopefully come across in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I immediately got on, on the phone to, to the to the people yeah. that I thought would know and consequently a, a, a huge uh, firestorm started online about whether it was a marlin or a swordfish I, I've i read every comment several times and I think I'm in the swordfish camp rather than the, I think the other one that was, was it? No, was it? I can't remember if it was a white marlin or one of the other mm. you know, obviously a small mm. one uh, but yeah, I, I feel that I feel having read everyone's sort of side to it that it was a, a wow. small swordfish. Amazing, yeah. beautiful creature. It's been so good to get um, a real insight into your angling and your background in fishing, and then obviously on to some of the stories and um, ultimately just your, your whole all-round lure experience. Um, some of the stuff you passed on, mate, I'm definitely going to be taking out onto the boat when the weather allows. Yeah, well, thanks. That's that's really generous. I think if there's a summary, it's just that, you know, don't necessarily follow the rules. Mix it up a little bit. Have some fun. And that's what it's yeah. about.
it's about fun. That's come across, mate, in this pod. I can yeah, 100%. If we can get away with putting the full audio out so that nothing's missed, I'll certainly be doing it because um, <laughs> there's been gems throughout this, mate. And thanks so much again. Yeah, for thank you for coming on, Adam. My absolute pleasure. Anytime, gentlemen. Hope to see you soon. Good luck with um, yeah, all your all your efforts. It's mega. Yep. Top man. And anybody that wants to obviously go and see all the uh, wasps or the gobies and whatnot, Adam's on Instagram <laughs> with his. Uh, what is it? Just Adam Kirby. I can't actually remember what it. Oh, it's something daft. Probably Mr. Adam Kirby, but you'll find my ugly mug on there. <laughs> Along with a load of fish. Wicked. Yeah, look for the colourful fish. The ones. Looking forward to getting out of you, mate, and fishing soon. Yeah, definitely. Be awesome. Yeah, likewise.